0: Herman, New York in 1872 was seen to a horrific, dreadful death. It's a way no human should have to ever go. I'm Matt. And I'm Meg. And this is the Your Town Podcast. Herman is a town in St. Lawrence County which is in New York, and obviously the United States. The population is around 1,100 or so people. Herman is named after Mount Herman, which is in Israel, and also named near a corresponding mountain, which is Mount Jabal el-Sheikh in Syria. Pretty sure I said it wrong, but either way, it's 54 miles, and uh, like I said, around 1,100 people, just to kind of set the scene. Uh, I didn't really know anything about Herman so there you go educational podcast and back in the day Herman had a hotel or an inn as they called it the Farnsworth House Hotel and Saloon and it was seen as mentioned to a very horrific crime so for any local people listening this hotel was later renamed to the Herman Hotel so maybe that one rings a bell doesn't to me but either way present day on the corner because uh, the saloon in the Herman Hotel was on the corner of Main and Church Street. So I pulled out the Google Maps and I looked it up. There is something that's 96 Main Street, which is a 2,800 square foot house that was built in 1840. So I mean, it kind of fits and if you look at it, it's a pretty big old looking house that maybe was a saloon too. I don't know, can't confirm that it is the place, but based on the pictures, like I mentioned, it could be, fits the description. So make sure to check uh, out the picture on Instagram. I'm going to post of the house that I potentially think and all of the other cool pictures that we found of the actual uh, saloon in the house. So uh, kind of interesting, I think, maybe, too, because present day as well, this property is kind of in Between two taverns or pubs, whatever you might call it, that's pretty close the Skunk's Nest and the Lone Wolf, which I believe was sold and then renamed to Max. So, Max is also next to the Hermantown Court and the Hermantown Office and Historian. Probably should have hit up the Historian, seeing how it's really close to the historical place. So, maybe uh, if anybody knows, shoot us an email and we'll get in touch with the Historian. But right. I'm to jump back to 1872. Let's do it. All right. So there I was. January 1872, specifically, was busier than most nights at the Farnsworth House Hotel and Saloon. Pretty creative name, right? It is. Yeah, that's exactly what I would have named it. The Keep, Alman Farnsworth, was busy visiting the regulars while welcoming patrons who arrived for an appointment with a traveling phrenologist. You might be thinking, what's a phrenologist? Did you know? I did not know. I can't wait to find out. I had no idea, but I had to Google it. So a phrenologist is actually a person that measures bumps on the skull and it actually predicts mental traits. Hmm. So some late 1800s kind of alternative alternative medicine or pseudoscience. That's a tough one to spell. Thankfully, we don't have to spell Hmm. it. While the phrenologist was drawing and depicting skulls, someone else's brain was plotting and planning a murder. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, three in a row we did it. <laughs> it's reported that around 8.15, a Mr. Schofield went into the bathroom or the bar room, not the bathroom. He didn't go to the bathroom at all. He went to the bar room, probably led to a bathroom trip, <laughs> grabbed some beer, then took pretty much the entire pitcher that was left in there. So good for you, Mr. Schofield. Theron Farnsworth, that's how you would say it, right? Theron? Theron, yeah. Theron Farnsworth, one of the owner's sons, then took the almost, uh, the empty pitcher, Filled it almost full. Uh, My sources, which we're going to get to at the end of the episode, said that it was three quarters full. All right. Then Theron Farnsworth takes that pitcher and puts it under the counter as kind of a courtesy to the next patron. Mm, Room temperature beer. Who doesn't (laughs) love room temperature beer? Not me. So little after nine, Almond Farnsworth says, shit, I've had a long, hectic day. Maybe I'm going to have a beer. All right. He didn't really, that wasn't a quote. That's just what I'm thinking. Super busy. You got the phrenologist in there. Long day. I'm going to grab a beer. So he grabs a beer, grabs that pitcher, that same pitcher that the sun put back there, pours a beer, and then just chugs it. So that'll buy almond for that. But then almost instantly, just kind of had an uneasy tingling sensation that just kind of went over his entire body. And then it just started to spread to every limb. And then within, within minutes, he started to have seizures. That's yeah, not a good beer. Any guesses, though, what type of beer it was back then? Because I have no idea. Do you think it was like a homemade one? Do you think it was something that was bought? Do you think, you know what I mean, then distributed like bars do now? I don't know. We should, we should look it's that probably up. Probably in a barrel. Ooh, a big barrel. So they just dip the pitcher in the barrel? <laughs> and They're not going to have a draft system. Hmm. These are questions that we're going to follow up, and if we find it, we'll throw it on uh, the social medias because that'll be pretty cool. So, all right. Speaking of not cool, though, let's get back to this. Dr. E.G. Seymour of Herman rushes to the hotel and finds Farnsworth convulsing and pretty close to death. And again, this is within minutes. The doctor was able to kind of talk with Farnsworth, you know, treat Farnsworth. And Farnsworth was able to kind of say, hey, I had just taken a drink from the pitcher. Less than an hour, almost 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes from taking a drink from that pitcher, Farnsworth is pronounced dead. Mm -hmm. So, with all this happening, Seymour then orders the sons, Theron and Amos, to secure that pitcher and the tumblers that he drank from and just kind of set them aside. That way, they're the secured, you know, kind of like a quick little crime scene. So, they call the coroner, J.R. Furness. I was going to say Furness, but it's definitely Furness. We're going to go with Furness. It's Furness. Was then summoned to the scene. They both kind of, you know, have a little chat and they say, you know what, we think it's strikenine poisoning, which let's talk about what this is. There's a reason that this poisoning is often used in horror films like Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, because the crystalline alkaloid that is in this poison has kind of some of the most wild and bizarre and definitely painful symptoms of any known poison. Today, it's usually found in like pesticides, rat poison. They don't use it for any medical reasons. But back then, as we know, in, in probably years from where we are now, you know, technology and science and all that stuff evolves. They did use it in very, very small doses. as kind of a stimulant and to treat constipation and upset stomachs. They didn't have Pepto-Bismol and stuff back then. So this was theirs. Don't use this. Because, again, it's known in pesticides like rat poisons and stuff these days. So within minutes of ingesting this poison, it does run through the body. And anybody that uh, that does ingest this usually dies from suffocation or from pure exhaustion of actually having to go through this painful ordeal. One of the craziest, though, features of this poisoning is it causes the body to go into instant mortis the moment that death occurs, which actually is wild because like if you're having convulsions your mouth is open you know if your back's arched and you know what i mean your eyes are bulging because you're in your fear you don't know what's going on you're gonna die it locks it right into that and it just looks like a horror movie and i guess that's why they use it right terrifying man i couldn't imagine so all right let's go back there so we got the doctor all right in the corner there they're trying to determine what actually is going on they're trying to figure out is it this poisoning so they said you know what let's give a little bit to a cat it's poor cat poor cat 10 minutes of this cat drinking from the same pitcher having a little bit of that beer cat dies within 10 minutes and this is according to the st lawrence republican on january 30th 1872 st lawrence republican we've had a we've mentioned them on a ton of episodes there's some potentials that zach had about some yellow journalism so call back go watch that episode typically it can take up to three hours in a human body but the suspect or kind of whoever is poisoning you know farnsworth they knew what they were doing and they used a much higher dose leaving no chances that they wouldn't leave that saloon hotel barroom, you know multi-purpose place so it's unclear even if Farnsworth was the target initially. So there was a lot of people that shared the picture. There was a lot of people that had access to the bar, beyond the kids. I mean, you have to imagine. How many times have you been out to a bar, a pub, or whatever? Sometimes there's just people behind that bar that probably don't work there and shouldn't be there. It happens. Small towns. Small towns. This is a small town, and it definitely happened back then. So speaking of small town, finger pointing, the blaming, everything it's just going wild. This this whole community and everything is, is in a pretty big uproar. Farnsworth, big, real, well-respected person in the community. is now dead. He's murdered. So there's a book that we have used before. It's called In Murder and Mayhem in St. Lawrence County. They kind of then take all of these diary entries and stuff like that that was from the Justice of the Peace, and they share little bits of portions in there. I'm not going to go through all of them because... They were just, I don't know, maybe 10 lines from January to February, right before uh, a trial and a couple of trials and stuff started. And it was pretty cool, though, because the great-great-grandson of Clark Main, who was summoned to the scene by the county sheriff, J.F. Daniels, Stan Main, actually was able to share this with the author of In Murder and Mayhem in St. Lawrence County. So pretty cool. And Cheryl Farnsworth is actually the author of this. So I'm not exactly sure. They're related. Could be a distant relative. But there was a there was a, 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 a kind of a part of the book where it says you know family in the bar, and then there was a quote that says I should know. So maybe that is actual you know relatives. Too ironic not to be. So all right. So again, we're not going to go through the whole um, diary and everything like that. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about first suspect named Oscar brown he was indicted after i think yeah it was the next day after finding out that he actually had a very heated exchange with mr farnsworth and actually owed him quite a bit of money seems like a pretty good suspect you always see it on the movies the tv show nothing goes nothing comes good from owing somebody a lot of money so don't borrow and not get back lots of money that's that's the that's one of the morals of the story here we've seen it we've all seen it play out so not only did people see and hear of this argument but apparently a witness testified that he saw uh Oscar Brown actually buy a package of poison from Mr Healy who is the druggist and he actually bought this in the previous summer druggist I'm assuming is a pharmacist probably smart that they changed it from a uh, druggist to pharmacist I think it sounds yeah. a little more professional yeah, yeah. So when questioning the druggist, Mr. Healy said, hey, I have no recollection. I don't remember ever giving this to Mr. Brown. So because of that, Mr. Brown was acquitted based on the druggist. And I'm assuming a little bit more of the investigation, but you know what they say about assuming. So Mr. Brown's out. Now we have three remaining suspects, the sons Theron and Amos and a Hazely Smith, a witness named Marshall Reed, who apparently came out of kind of nowhere the eve before Mr. Brown's trial, who, they are buddies, and it was a handwritten note that apparently was so unlegible that they could barely make this story out, so they ended up having to have some extra conversations or anything, but he claims that he was looking, ironically, through the window a little before the incident and actually saw Theron pick up a pitcher from under the counter and sat on the bar. Smith then took out a small paper, which he claimed he then opens, and shook some white powder into the pitcher. Another unnamed witness claimed that Smith did in fact have some type of poison in his possession at the time because he was using it to kill some pesky foxes. Hmm. But like I mentioned, the timing was pretty odd because they are buddies, and this was kind of after the authorities had already... Made several claims, like, if you know anything, if you're a witness, come forward, come forward, come forward. He waited and waited and waited in the eve of his buddy's trial. But the story was then debunked, but that didn't happen. So many people did see the sons behind the bar most of the night at the time. And it's just kind of one of the perks of being an owner's kid. More bar time, right? Ira Williams said that uh, he saw Smith and Theron whispering to each other in the bathroom shortly before the incident. Although Williams wasn't exactly sure what they were talking about. It did seem a little weird to kind of, you know, a little bit of a weird time right before things go down to have a private conversation in what they called then the washroom that we call the bathroom. So, obviously, there's not a ton of evidence from that that they can really do at this time. But one thing that was brought up that was a little bit odd, if it was going to be the sons, especially Theron, why wouldn't they have just dumped the rest of the picture down the drain, right at the time that doctor, um, the doctor was there and said, hey, secure it. I mean, they wouldn't have dumped it, right, if it was on you would thing? I don't know. Would you that have looked suspicious, though. True, but from reports, they did say that where it was, where, where Farnsworth was down, where the doctor was, that it was out of sight. So they mm-hmm. could have easily, behind the bar, dumped it, and right where the pitcher was was right next to the drain. So they had every opportunity to get rid of the evidence, but they didn't to me. That's like, okay, maybe they didn't do it, but we have one more person of interest. Helsey Smith, right? They have a little bit of a history. It turns out Mr. Farnsworth and Smith because of the previous summer, a lot of stuff went down that previous summer, people allegedly buying poisoning, but then there's Smith who actually fired off a pistol at Mr. Farnsworth from across the street and barely missed him. But according to Smith, it was just a friendly little practical joke. I don't joke with my friends like that. No, no. I mean, <laughs> granted, we weren't in the eighteen seventies, but I feel like that's a that's a little bit of a wild practical show. Yeah. So, regardless of that, all three of them were held in the county jail, which was located in Canton, New York at the time. And they just kind of sat there until the trial started, which was in March 1874. All three of these men, though, they were very well respected in the community. You had um um, one was a shoe shiner. One, you know, that had a very good job. And again, they were all just very good community members. And there was no, you know, red flags in the community or people really upset at the time that was in the book. Uh, a couple extra details. So the trial is here. They listen to all the statements, but for whatever reason, they considered Reed's testimony that happened in the Brown jury, uh, the Brown, the Brown trial. That the defense had kind of shot so many holes, no pun intended here, through it, that there just really wasn't anything else to work with. So the jury, they meet, they decide very quickly that all three, not guilty, trial over, case done. Hmm. The murder, never solved. Never solved the murder. Theron, the son, stayed in Herman, got married to a Fontella Healy. Can't confirm, but ironically... The same last name as the druggist in the same town. They got married later that same exact year. Tell me that's not a little bit sketchy. Mm, it's a little odd. It's a little odd, right? And they actually started a newspaper called the Herman Union. And then a couple of months after starting the Herman Union, guess what? It burned down. 1875. Whoa! So they decided, hey, a lot going on here. My business is done. They moved to Camden, New York where they actually took care of the mom, Mrs. Farnsworth, in her later years. Amos stayed right in Herman, and then there was another son and daughter. They actually moved and uh, ended up settling in Canton, New York. But St. Lawrence Republican, they kind of said, they kind of, you know, went over all of this and, and had a very... Very good take on this. So I'm going I'm to read it. This is a quote, again, from the St. Lawrence Republican. It said, The unfortunate division in the public mind of the town where the crime was committed and the conflicting theories formed and adopted by its leading citizens have for a time, if not forever, defeated the end of justice and rendered all efforts thus far made to discover the real culprit or culprits. Hmm. Pretty good. So a dreadful death that led to someone getting away with murder in Herman, New York. Wow. It's a wild story, right? Could it have been like a town conspiracy? <sighs> Who yeah. knows? I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit before, just kind of, you know, going over the story and stuff and some other people we talked and everything in our brains were like, the sun, the sun did it. The sun did it. The sun did it. But the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind is why didn't they dump the evidence down? I don't know. Maybe they didn't think that there was the a way to test it. True. True. Hmm. Okay. Just maybe a lack of knowledge. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that they haven't gone and murdered too many people using this terrible, terrible... Or maybe it was just, like, a moment of panic. Like, go Frozen in fear. It is. being caught. But, father's done. They got over the grief, kind of moved on with their lives, and like I said, to this day, they still don't know who did it, and... I mean, it's definitely past. They're they're not going to find who did this ever, but pretty cool local story that that um, you know that I really enjoyed. Again, thank you to our sources. Murder in Mayhem in St. Lawrence County by Cheryl L. Farnsworth. Cool copy that is autographed by Cheryl, and of course our favorite source, Wikipedia. So we are going to end this with a quote that I thought was kind of fitting in this need, ugly way to die. That was actually a quote from Psycho, the movie from 1960. Good one. Oh, man, it's a terrible way to die. So I don't know. All right. Well, hopefully, if you're still listening to this, we can't thank you enough. You've made it through the entire episode. And it's wild. Let us know if you have any stories. I'd really love for you to submit some stories. Send it to our email. Send it to any of our our, um, social medias because we'd love to hear a story of your town because it is your town your stories this is the your town podcast again meg can't thank you enough for filling in this is fun i was gonna say it was like pulling teeth but uh (laughs) it wasn't that bad i don't think but either way can't thank you meg can't thank everybody for listening that's all we got till next time this is the your town podcast take care everybody